The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guest today is Kim Jordan. She is the co-founder and CEO of New Belgium Brewing, the country's third largest craft brewer and the creator of Fat Tire Amber. I bet that's a a beer that you have had a few samples of in your lifetime. She has cultivated her passion for social work, the environment, and community to create one of the most successful corporations in America. Welcome to the show today, Kim. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, I was reading a recent Forbes article, and it said that you were an unlikely beer pioneer. How did you get started in the industry? New Belgium was actually primarily the um, dream of my then husband. At the time, actually, we weren't yet married, uh, Jeff Liebisch. And beer has always been my adult beverage of choice, and so it was a natural fit for me. And it was he was a home brewer, and it was one of those moments where you make a decision about, you know, are we going to do this thing? and risk it or are we going to stick with our day jobs and um, end up always wondering how things might have been different if we had done this. So it's really one of those kind of um, startup entrepreneurial American success stories in that way. So did you in fact uh, quit your day jobs and jump into it uh, with both feet or did you ease into it? Did you uh, start the brewing at night and the bottling later. I mean, and keep your day jobs. How did that work? Um, Jeff pretty much quit his day job, mm-hmm. and I were I cut back to four days a week. I had good health insurance, and um, we were in the process of having a second kid, and so that was a really you know you make those decisions sometimes based on things like. You know, the cash flow would be good, and um, <laughs> right. we need the insurance. So I would work four days a week. I would work in the evenings um, making uh, a point of sale for table tents and shelf talkers, which are things that you use in the in the beer industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I would go to Kinko's at night and do that, and on the day that I didn't work at my paying job as a social worker, I would deliver beer and, um, you know, help with bottling. And it was a a very full, um, let's see, we were, I worked at two jobs for about a year. And then um, we both, uh, at the point that our second kid was born, we started full time, both of us working out of the basement of our house. 
Yeah, it's so many. As you say, it's the American entrepreneurial story and so many entrepreneurs that I'm aware of, especially in the food business or the beverage business, uh, get started in their homes. I mean, I think of Danny O'Neill with the roastery coffee starting in his Brookside basement. Indigo Wild, she makes you know specialty soaps, but again, at her kitchen sink, just had the uh, entrepreneur grannies, I, uh, the founders of Ice Chips Candy on. And again, they started in their homes. And, and it, people just find a way to get this done. And you started, as you said, in your basement. And how long were you there before you realized that, boy, we have something here. We can't just stay in our home. We're going to really build this out. How long did it take you to come to that realization? Um, it, that was actually fairly quick. Our overhead was, of course, very low because we were in our house. And um we started New Belgium at a time when in our town, Fort Collins, Colorado, we had um, a brew pub where mm-hmm. people could go and drink beer at the pub. And we had a brewery that was doing keg-only beer, so they were um, making sure that they had beer for bars and restaurants around Fort Collins. But nobody was making uh, beer uh, kind of to go in a pack in a bottle mm-hmm. in a package that you could take home, and so there was enough of a seeding of the market that people were just you know the industry was nascent at this point, and they were just beginning to be interested in this idea of more flavorful beers. This was early and, 90s, um, right? Early 90s. I don't think we've mentioned that. Yeah, we started yeah. in uh, 1991. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so we, it really was something where we pretty quickly said, you know, we think we can make this work. We were in our basement for about 14 months. At that point, we kind of felt like, gee, we have more beer than furniture, <laughs> and our kids' friends are starting to kind of look around like, you know, gosh, it, it's this is a strange place to come to for a play date, so... We decided it was time to um, to you know move the show on the road and and build out a real location for a brewery. So we moved to a second location, and we were there for three years. And then we moved to where we are now, and we've probably had thirty expansions since that time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a couple a year, I would I would estimate. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been nothing but fun. So rapid growth, but very controlled growth, it sounds like. And the equipment that it takes to run a brewery, how how did you manage to finance that? I mean, I know you were still working your day job, but uh, that kind of equipment is fairly expensive, as I understand. How did you How did you manage that? Yeah, social workers don't make the kind of money that it takes <laughs> right. to um, underwrite the cost of uh, a capital expansion. That was actually a really great and fundamental part of our story. Um, the initial equipment that we had was designed by Jeff, and um, we had a local dairy manufacturer build the equipment. So that was... We took a second mortgage out on our house. Like that a true entrepreneur. Was, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I used to give a talk called Visa has been very good to me. Um, <laughs> so, so we um, that part wasn't was approachable. 
for the expansion, we realized, you know, again, craft brewing was still very new um, and not really on the radar for bankers. And um, we tried the typical, uh, you know, put together a loan package for the bank, and actually we were turned down. Um, and so we said to equipment manufacturers, um, the company that helps us to secure financing for this will have a huge edge over everyone else. Mm-hmm. And that worked. Um, we also, when we sold our initial brew house equipment, brew house and fermentation equipment, we, um, we told people that if you'll pay us up front, um, we'll allow you to brew on the system, we'll train you in how to use it. We'll, so we were able to really manage our cash flow between those two strategies to be able to fund the, um, the second brewery Mm-hmm. with the proceeds of the first and with um some it we actually ended up getting um some capital leasing um some operating leases for the second brew house so that really kind of saved the day at that point sure one of the uh as i mentioned in the introduction uh, one of the beers that you're really known for is fat tire how did you come up with the name of that beer um, Fat Tire at that time was a nickname for a mountain bike, and ah. Jeff had been on a trip in Europe, and he was a home brewer at the time, and he came back to the States um, and decided he wanted to emulate some of the beers that he had tried there, and he on that trip, he had his mountain bike, and he really did most of his um, country-to-country travel by bike, and so he named the beer Fat Tire in, you know, in homage to the trip, and um, when we decided to go, you know, commercial as a as a startup craft brewery, we thought, well, that this will be one of the beers we make because it, um, you know, it is, it harkens back to Belgian styles of beer, and, um so we decided we would keep the name, and we had a lot of people tell us that that was a terrible name for a beer, <laughs> and we should really reconsider. And you know, of course, we didn't, and the rest is history. Absolutely, it is. You know, I talk to a lot of startups, and you get the ones who don't worry at all about marketing because they think, oh, I've got a great product, everybody's going to come. You know, just takes a little bit of time, but but everybody's going to come because this is such a great product. And then you have the others who just you know, they just plunge a fortune into marketing before they've got a product that anybody really wants or that they've educated people about. And you, though, uh, said that you told your story barstool by barstool. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, you know, um, when we were getting ready for this conversation, we were talking about being in the hospitality business. And you know, beer is a very friendly thing, and the way that you connect with beer drinkers is to sit down and engage them in storytelling, both to hear their stories and to tell your own. And um, that's an—it's of course incredibly time-consuming. Yes, but it is um, an affordable way to. You know, we sort of intuitively knew that you need to work on pull first 
you know, the part of the equation that's between you and beer drinkers and to, and to sort of spark their enthusiasm and interest and, and loyalty for what it is that you're doing. So, um, and I think on the issue of brand and, you know, I think, I think it's important to do both things. We were certainly, our roots are as brewers, but we also understood that, that brand is a part of your personality and you know it's a little bit like um as human beings a, a lot of people in our industry sort of eschew the notion of brand and and say you know people will love this beer and that's all that's you know that's enough mm-hmm. and it's a bit like saying you know that as a human being you you don't need to be interesting you know your personality <laughs> is part of what engages people and I think it's a mistake to think that somehow having a brand is you know fluff or or you know not necessary or sort of false because it's really just a an expression of your personality absolutely we're going to take a quick break when we get back we're going to continue this conversation with kim jordan the co-founder and ceo of new belgium brewing you're listening to blog talk radio we'll be right back looking to establish your brand as an industry leader want to deliver helpful relevant content to your niche audience Look no further. Our staff at Custom Publishing can produce branded newsletters, magazines, podcasts, and so much more. We'll take you from concept to distribution or assist you with any stage in between. Writing, editing, design, audio production, voiceovers, digital, print. If you have a communication need, we have a solution. Call 913-831-8100. Call us today and discuss the possibilities. That's 913-831-8100 for all your custom publishing needs. Listen, as a hiring manager, I've got to tell you, the best job candidate is isn't always the typical candidate. Sometimes they're a grad of life. Meet the grads of life, young adults of unique determination and experience, an ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Sometimes the best candidates aren't the ones you're used to. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. It's the smartest party of the year. Thinking Bigger Business Media will turn a spotlight on some of the city's most innovative and forward-thinking entrepreneurs with its annual Smart Companies to Watch publication and party, Thursday, December 5th, from 5.30 till 7.30 p.m. at the downtown Marriott Mealbach Hotel. Hors d'oeuvres, including a carving station and drinks, will be served. That's Thinking Bigger Business Media's annual Smart Companies to Watch Party, December 5th at the Mule Box. Register at ithinkbigger.com today. Good morning. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're talking here this morning with Kim Jordan, the co-founder and CEO of New Belgium Brewing. And she has been talking with us about how... She and her then-husband got this brewery started, and the thing is, you guys were on the cusp of the craft brew trend, I guess you could say, but really it's been more than a trend because here now, what, 20-some years later, it's as strong as ever. If anything, it's gaining even more momentum. What is the appeal of craft beers? I think that, um, first, there is a, a hunger among, you know, Americans for 
a, a connection to makers, to people who actually produce things. And, I, and that's especially true in the food and beverage space. Um, you know, we like to connect with stories. We like to know that our money is going to um, something that we believe in. We also, I think, um, have evolved as a culture in terms of our enthusiasm for flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, often we hear that, that things swing, you know, in a pendulum. And and I think this is... Um, this is a part of the appeal of craft beer. I think that the fact that craft brewers are really interested in the connection between beer and food mm-hmm. um, is an important component of this. Um, and, you know, as I, to sort of underscore it, I think that feeling that you're buying something that was made by someone that you could get to know um, and that it's in your local community. Beer is really very, it's an ancient art form. And I've talked to, you can imagine, thousands of beer drinkers over the years. And, and it's really archetypal. It's, it really sits sort of almost in, at the cellular level with human beings. And so that in and of itself creates a, a, an interest and a deep connection and the fact that now you can get really flavorful beers made by people who you might be able to meet is um, alluring, I think, for mm-hmm. people. You've stressed this morning a lot of connections. You've focused on that a lot. It's not just with your customers. It's also with your employees. Talk to us about your business philosophy and your management style and how that's helped your success. Um we have, I love beer. I love the beer industry. I um, have a lot of great friends um, over all of these years. But I also feel like it's important to have something maybe that underpins that, that is deeply meaningful. And and perhaps it's because we started as a family business mm-hmm. and we realized that we needed to um, rely on our coworkers to help us run the business so that we could also have, you know, a family life and a right. married life. Um, also, I think my training in social work um, was pretty important to the way that we show up in business. But we have been... Um, highly engaged in what we call high-involvement culture um, since the early 90s. We were maybe two years old as a brewery when it was time to really start thinking about how we were going to build this relationship among those of us who worked at New Belgium. Before we ever made any beer, we had some core values and beliefs that really guided who we were going to be as we started to build this baby company. And that was fundamental to who we've turned out to be. Um, we, we kind of added more meat to those bones um, with the help of our coworkers over the years. 
But so, for instance, we expect all of our coworkers to be involved in the business of running the business. We practice open book management. All of our coworkers see where all of the money goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the years, we have transitioned from um, what was initially ownership by Jeff and me to a small pot of deferred compensation or phantom stock for all of our coworkers into an ESOP. And um, at the beginning of 2013, we sold the balance of our of the company to our coworkers, my my boys, a group of management, and myself. Um, and so now we're 100% employee owned. Um, and that's that combination of um, being highly involved in building strategy, having a high degree of transparency and understanding where the money goes, and um, broadly, you know, company-wide shared equity has been an incredible engine for us um, as we've built the company over the years. Well, your your staff, your employees are invested in it, and they know that everything that they do has a personal outcome. Uh, it's not just about showing up for work every day. So obviously one that works, although I know that uh, for some companies who have tried the open book management route, being that transparent has had some pitfalls, and I just wondered if there's if you encountered that at all and persevered through it, and if you did, how did you handle those situations? Um, I want to quickly set that up with a story about that. I read uh, The Great Game of Business mm-hmm. by Jack Stack, and this was before we were doing open book management, and I thought, you know, I don't know if I want yeah. that much transparency with my coworkers. We gave them a little quick. We've had a retreat every year since we started that, you know, everyone is expected to attend. And we gave them a little quiz and said we took in $100. And out of that, we spent some on raw materials, some on labor, some on the other things that businesses um, need to to remain open. And um, how much did we spend on those and how much did we have left at the end of the day? And they said that they thought we probably had $60 left of that $100. And, you know, if you've ever run a business, you know that that's um, wildly optimistic. And, <laughs> sure. You know, people would, when I speak to business groups, they always laugh when I say that because you'd kill for 60% net margin. Mm-hmm. So, so um, that's when I knew that opening the books, you know, they're making stories about where the money goes right. <laughs> and, and you kind of might as well. Um, I have found that the level of transparency that we have um, really frees us up to be, you know, honest in at every turn and we don't have to kind of hide things. And so you have to invest in um, financial literacy we have people all the way from semi-skilled labor through PhDs in microbiology. Mm-hmm. So it's a breadth of understanding of business that is um, wildly different. And so we have to spend time getting everyone at the same level of financial acumen. But I really feel like for us, um, they're, they're, we don't share salaries because it feels like 
you know, nobody really wins in that conversation. Sure. If they want to share salaries, of course, that's up to them. But we, as a company, we don't publish those, although we do say that our salaries are pinned to market-based wages. Mm-hmm. But other than that, you know, it really builds a lot of trust and alignment and goodwill. So I'm a huge fan, as you can see, and I don't see a lot of downside to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, occasionally you have to have those difficult conversations about the need to, you know, the reason that we don't take all of the profits and give it to our coworkers is that we also need to invest in expansion so that yes. we can continue to grow our share value. So right. Now, like any business, uh, you start out into your kitchen. Well, not every business starts at the kitchen sink, but you start you start small, rudimentary, uh, and and then as the business grows, you have to make decisions, especially about the founder's role in it. And it, you know, when you started, Jeff, your your husband at that time was the brewmaster, but at some point, he outgrew that role. You had to actually bring in a brewmaster. Uh, how how did you come to that decision? Uh, was it painful? What advice would you give for other business owners who are in that situation where maybe somebody who started out in a role just isn't really uh, the right person as you grow? Um, that's always – actually, with Jeff, that was not painful because mm-hmm. one of his strengths was being able to say, you know, kind of a combination of I'm not sure that I have the – knowledge to do this anymore and I also don't like it anymore Mm -hmm. and so for him I think it was harder when it got to be sort of I don't I don't really want to work at the level that it takes to continue to be engaged in a you know increasingly complex and growing business and you kind of can't I think this is my own bias you can't do that kind of part-time. You have to either be in it or not in it. And, you know, that was perhaps a more complicated conversation. But generally speaking, that's one of the difficult parts of entrepreneurialism is you, you work with people that you've developed deep, strong relationships with and things that they could do when, you know, when we were a $2 million company or a $10 million company, they're not really able to do when we're, um, you know, a $110 million right. company. Right. And and that's, I mean, ultimately you have to do what's best for the business, and um, that's not always easy. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you can find... Um, you know, opportunities for them within the organization where you can use their strengths. But you, I, my bias is that you can't kind of limp along, um, not really grabbing, you know, the work right. of growing yeah. because someone doesn't have that capability right. anymore. Right. You owe it to the rest of the people, too, to make those hard decisions. So uh, one of the things that you are passionate about, you, you've mentioned that you're passionate about beer, but you're also passionate about the environment. And how does that come through in, in the process of making the beer? 
Um, we've invested a lot of money in process water uh, treatment that allows us to recover nutrients and create energy. So we power about 20% of the brewery through our own energy recovery. We do a lot of, you know, making sure that our downstream and upstream supply chains are as efficient as they can be. Um, and it's just been you know, a really wonderful surprise to be able to invest profits in making sure that we're thinking about our impact on the environment. Kim, thank you so much for being here today. Really appreciate it, and good luck with the future. Thank you so much, Kelly. It's been my pleasure. Kim Jordan, co-founder and CEO of New Belgium Brewing. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at I Think Bigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.